0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. You are back in the House of Mystery, and it's a mysterious world that we live in. It certainly Uh, is. Well, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I just, every day I wake up and it's just even more exciting than the day before yes it is it is well speaking of excitement let's just get into this because we've All got right. we've got this uh, Canadian writer <laughs> and she's <laughs> got uh, another Marketville mystery and it's before there were skeletons so Judy Penn Shalak, thank you for being here
1: well, hi, Alan. Nice to be here. And hi,
0: Dave. You know, Marketville—that must be a pretty. I was thinking about this. This is—you've uh, got a lot going on in that town. Yeah. Um, I mean, I say it's pretty, pretty wicked. It's like when you watch those shows on TV, those series, and it's just a, and um, it's just a small town of eighty people, but they have a murder every day. <laughs> yeah, every, yeah,
1: like Capricorn. <laughs> <it, both>,
0: yeah. <laughs> I always wonder about that. Well, so, um, how did how did this book come to you? Number four.
1: Yeah, so um, the there's three books in the series. The first one is Skeletons in the Attic, and then Past and Present, and then A Fool's Journey. And so um, Skeletons in the Attic was the story of Callie, the main protagonist, looking into her um, mother's disappearance thirty years before. And although that's more or less resolved at the end of the book, there are still some loose ends. And they're not tied up in books two and three. And I sort of felt like it was time to, you know, really tie up all those little loose ends, right? So my initial thought was um, to write a book called Before There Were Skeltons, which is what the title of the book is. But the thought was to actually um, place the book in 1978, the year that uh, Callie was conceived, and tell it from her mother's point of view. And I thought... Well, that'll be good. It'll be like a prequel, right? Before there were skeletons, skeletons in the attic. So I wrote probably, I'm going to say 75 pages, like a significant chunk of pages and words in Abigail Kelly's mother's voice. And it just was awful. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it, but, you know, I'd I'd go to it every day and I'd read what I'd written the day before. That's my sort of normal practice, try to write a chapter a day, go back, read the chapter the next day, and then soldier on. And I just, you know, every day I'd, like, dread a little bit more going back to it, thinking this is just not very good and it's not very interesting and I just couldn't get get Abigail's voice right. But what I did find is that I... By doing those 75 pages, I felt that I'd gotten to know her a lot better than I had previously, right? Because I got to know her as a young, like she was 17 when she got pregnant with Callie, and she had to drop out of grade 13, which we have here, had here in Ontario, Um, not anywhere else, I don't believe. So anyway, uh, I, I sort of felt like, okay, now I know her better, but I'm going to set the book in present day and somehow figure out a way to bring that past into Callie's present, right? So that was sort of how I ended up going to, the, to a present day with a nod to the past.
0: When you write missing person um, as a subject, there, there's got to be a, an evil character or some, some sense of evil throughout the town then or somebody bad. Do you, do you have issues writing an evil character?
1: No, not re- not really, because I can be quite evil. No, <laughs> I <I'm laughs> well, just this look is, this in my inner self and say, "How would I do this?" No, um, actually. So the Hallie, her business is based in Marketville, but this particular book, the um, the missing, there are three missing women. She's actually hired to investigate a woman who went missing in Niokota Falls, which is about forty minutes north of where she lives in Marketville, an even smaller town than Marketville. And this woman went missing in 1995 and her uh, daughter uh, and left behind a one-year-old daughter. And it's her daughter that's come to Callie and said, listen, I know that you do this kind of thing. Um, I want to find out why my mother left and if, if she's still alive or where she is, because nobody nobody knows, right? And Callie um, is really intrigued by that case because Callie's mother disappeared on Valentine's Day, 1980, and this woman disappeared on valentine's day 1995 so she feels so she was left behind by her mother this girl was left behind by her mother she, she feels sort of a connection right away but as she starts looking into it she finds that two other young women roughly the same age build appearance um, disappeared two weeks apart each in 1995 so three missing women 1995 you know, over a six-week period In a small town. And so she starts, you know, she figures, well, something definitely has to be up here, right? So she starts, you know, she starts digging and through the old, uh, you know, clues, uh, you know, tries to get information from the police, um, doesn't get too far there. And it just sort of starts digging, like, through the past. And that's, you know... Yeah, so that's how it now and then where I bring um Callie's mother's past in is at the same time that she's doing that, her um Callie her grandmother, Cal um Abigail's mom, um, has approached Callie and said, Look, um I've got my daughter's um, yearbooks from you know when she was in high school right through. And I'd like you to have them. And so Callie and her her grandmother do not do not have a good relationship because her grandmother basically abandoned, um, you know, her daughter and um, Callie's dad when, when they were, you know, having a child. So she's not too fond of them, really. But anyway, she, she reluctantly takes the earbooks and starts digging through them, looking at things. And that's where she sort of starts to learn a bit about her mother's life and, what she finds in those yearbooks actually ends up linking back to the 1995 cases in some way. So it's all rather complicated. Trust me, it was very complicated to write.
0: (laughs) Are all of the missing cases connected in a sense? They're
1: not all connected, but there's a, a loose connection between a couple of them and a stronger connection between another, but they're not really all connected. Like the two, there's two missing women in 1978. Those cases are connected to one another and then there's the three women in 1995, which may or may not be connected. Uh, Callie's trying to determine that.
0: It's this like an alien book?
1: <laughs> Some days it might have felt like that, for sure. But it's definitely got a more complex plot than anything I've written before. Uh, it just seems like every book I get a little more complicated. I don't know why that is, but... Um, you definitely, you know, need to be on your toes to, to read it. And I definitely had to be on my toes to write it. So uh, one of the reasons it took a while it took like the last book came out in 2019. And generally I would do a book every year to 18 months. This one took longer. And one of the reasons was I, on top of COVID, which kind of, you know, just messed with you, your head a little bit. Um, I ended up falling on the ice and getting a concussion and, you know, there's no way that I could keep that kind of a plot in my mind with a concussion. So I had to kind of put the book on hold until the concussion symptoms kind of drifted away.
0: Well, I was, I was going to ask how you keep track of, you know, a very complex plot. I didn't know if you have uh, some tools or just some some systems, or is is there a way that you do that?
1: So I, I have... Um, the old fashioned paper and pen notebooks there. I like the ones that are spiral bound because you can rip the pages out. So as I'm writing, I'll <laughs> scribble notes in the spiral notebook with little reminders to myself, like, okay, page 72, um, plot point needs to be resolved. Play page 80, um, verify fact, uh, this and this, right. So I, so I make little, little notes, like even as far as the, um, the dates of the missing people. I, I I found a calendar from say 1995 and looked at dates that made sense, and then decided I wanted them each to be two weeks apart. So I then I went and I checked the the, the calendar for that date, and then the full maybe if there's a full moon on that date. I check all kinds of stuff like that, and I scribble all that right. stuff down in my my notebook. Um, but really, if if you weren't me. That that note, w- the notebook would make no sense to you at all. It's just <laughs> random scribblings. And then when I, when I sort of achieved what I wanted to do, I put a big check mark next to it so that I feel like I, you know, made progress that day if I get a check mark. Uh, and then once that page is fully checked, I just throw it out like I don't keep it. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So all those notes are basically in my head. It's so not the most effective. I mean, it's not the best way of doing things. It'd probably be better if I kept better notes, but I don't.
0: Oh God! Yeah, don't want to keep it in your head. There's, there's so little to hold on.
1: I know, I know, <laughs> I don't know. I, but I just, I just, I. That's the way I've always worked. They're all just hmm. my head, These people well, living there.
0: Well, well, yeah. So, so <laughs> that's the alien speaking no to you about it. this. This is all <laughs> a plan, right? Well, well, but this is kind of um, where does this missing person intrigue sort of thing come from from for you i mean because that's an interesting thing like you you're in a way you're centered on it um so like the mystery of it like it's based it's centered around missing people or why people went missing
1: yeah yeah it was started with um basically with with a fool's journey which was the previous book book three Uh, so i was reading my local paper at the time where I was living, and there was an article in the paper uh, about a a family that were still looking for their son, um, who had gone missing in 2020, and this would have been, you know, like 2015, 16, 17, something like that, when I was reading it, and they, he went, he left home to find himself, he left an old saying he's gone to find himself, and they didn't, they had no idea where he was, and so they had had this article like 15 years later, we're, you know, we're looking for our son, any kind of information, you know, know, we we just want to know where he is and that we don't, he doesn't have to come home or anything like that, right? And so there was a a picture of him like from one, you know, 15 years ago, and it was credited to missingadults.ca. So I thought, oh, that's really interesting. So I went to that website and browsed around and I was shocked, absolutely shocked at how many missing And unidentified people. There are just in Ontario. These are only adults, only in Ontario. There's right now. I think there's 1,200 missing um, persons cases in Ontario alone, and uh, I think 200 and some odd unidentified uh, remains. So lots. We're talking huge numbers here, right now. You know, some of those people um, left because they, they don't want to be found. That's the reality, right? They just want to start over. Some of them substance abuse issues, you know, some of them dementia, um, some of them dead, death by misadventure, bodies still under a rock somewhere. You know, you don't know. There's all these different scenarios, but I just found it fascinating. So I ended up calling the, um, the web, the the, per, the founder of Adults CA, um, Musha Dion, who is Lucy Danilak in the book, and she was phenomenal. She's been, she used to work for the Dome Network, and she's, she does all this, and she's just an amazing, amazing woman that's just relentlessly pursuing trying to put people back with their families or, um, you know, provide some sort of answers to them. And so she um, had recommended, a you know, two or three uh, cases when I was writing A Fool's Journey, and I kind of, you know, morphed on that. So when it came time for this book, and I realized that, you know, once my Abigail, the main character idea didn't work out, that I have to do something. Um, I, I called her and said, you know, I'm sort of looking for an idea. And she said, ah, oh, she goes, I know some cases that you can kind of look into and kind of, you know, go from there. So she recommended a handful of cases. Um, and I went and looked at the details. And, And um, there were cases of three women that had gone missing roughly at the same time. And so I sort of looked at those and then just made a bunch of stuff up because, you know, I don't want to, you know, what if these people are, are, you know, don't want to be found and I'm sort of uncovering them. Right. So I never actually tell anybody who the cases are based on. Uh, But anyway, I just found it fascinating. I just I just find it fascinating that there are so many missing people. Um, and we we just don't think about that right we you don't, just mm-hmm. don't think about that so anyway that's sort of how it how it happened and then uh, she was then she said oh there's these other two cases back in uh, in the seventies that have never been um, figured out and so I thought oh that's how I can get you know Abigail involved. <laughs> so I went, and out came the yearbooks and actually- and the yearbooks were because we were selling our house and, uh, I was cleaning up, um, stuff and my husband had some old university yearbooks. And so I started looking through them and then that's when I thought yearbook. Oh yeah, that would be good. Like, cause you know, we, if you have a yearbook and you look at people, like you don't remember everybody that was in your class and you wonder what happened to those people, right? Like some of them, you know, I mean, all these years later, where are they? Right. So I don't know. I just sort of took it from there and
0: but do they still use yearbooks nowadays? You know, do they still get them. You'd
1: be surprised. I think they do, but they're digital now, right? They're not like, uh, you know, they're not the paper ones that you got. And, you know, because back in the day, you would have your picture taken, what, the first week or second week of September or something like that, right? Because they yeah. had to do yeah. all that. Right. Yeah. So, like, that was the point of in, in the one. Whereas Abigail, she has, she's in the grade 13 yearbook, but I, you know, she drops out of grade 13 and like, December because she's having a baby. So, um, you know, that today you'd be, you know, first of all, she'd still be going to school because people didn't, you know, are more accepting of that sort of thing than they were in the 70s. But
0: Yeah, and see, and just for the the, the listeners that know, grade 13 is an Ontario thing.
1: Yeah, it's not anymore, but it, it sort of, I think it ended in the 90s sometime.
0: have got to have like a, uh, a plot, a subtext, yeah. some sort of a thing that you're trying to connect with people to think about besides... You know Veronica yeah. Goodman and all that no
1: I would I would hope that it brings awareness to sites like missingadults.ca and the Dome, the Dome network um, you know RCMP has a, a site Canada's missing um, that that they that they take a moment to to look because a lot of times there are um, you know the unidentified especially that's what lucia's lucia's working on now she's trying to cross-reference people that are unidentified with the the missing list and see if she can find connections i mean she's just like a tireless worker but um you know something that was sort of really um cool that happened with um, a fool's journey was that um, there was a a character in there that that was based on a real case called john doe of regina that was the name of the case and it was a young man's um, body that was, that was found hit by a train in Regina in, uh, you know, however many years ago. Long time ago, 20 years, 30 years, something like that. And he was never identified. And I used that case and referenced it actually in the author's notes with the case number um, so people could look up to say, you know, they're still looking for this John Doe Regina. And believe it or not, uh, about a year and a half ago, a um, DNA DNA actually um, was able to identify him and return him or his belongings, whatever was left, to the family. Now they've never let they've never made his name known. I mean, the family's chosen to to keep that um, anonymous, as as they have every right to. But uh, you know, they finally have they finally have closure, for lack of a better. Word after all these years because they didn't know what happened to their son like to them their son was just missing but he'd been dead for years
0: so are you going to continue kind of doing this sort of series with cold cases and kind of go into old cold cases and get ideas for them and kind of bring them to life
1: yeah well i'm going to stick with the cold case thing but but not necessarily another missing person one because now i've sort of done that twice right just can't do the same so in the first one. You know, Callie, her, her Calamity is her actual full name, Calamity Barnstable. She's, you know, she's inherits a house uh, from her, her late father <clears throat> with the proviso that she move into the house in Marketville and uh, find out what happened to her mother 30 years before. And so she does that as an amateur sleuth sort of thing, right, with the idea that, okay, she does that, she gets the house, okay. And then in book two, she decides, well, you know, she sort of, quit her day job to to do this finding her mother thing so she decides to start her own company past and present investigation so the second book's called past and present and she is um, she's hired to find a woman that went missing in uh, that was murdered in 1956 okay so she so the idea is like well who murdered her you know she finds out things about about that woman and then we went to a fool's journey now this one so yeah, I, I definitely want to keep with the cold case, but not another missing person. I don't exactly know what it's going to be yet. I haven't actually <laughs> gotten beyond the, yes, I'd like to write book five stage, but uh, I'm, I, I know it will be some sort of a cold case. Just how cold and that I don't know.
0: Where to next then? You don't know. Are you, are you going to do something on a different type of 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 genre or different type of writing
1: i am actually i'm working on a project now that is um a nonfiction project but I, i i i'm reluctant to talk about it because i'm i'm very superstitious and i feel like if i do tell anybody it something will happen so i can't do it you know like i'm super superstitious when i'm working on something so I'm hard at work, actually, have a notebook filled with scribbles and notes, <laughs> and, uh, and I've been working on that uh, pretty much every day since, uh, I guess, the beginning of September, but I was sort of outlining it throughout the summer, uh, although I'll admit that throughout the summer I was more golfing and not so much outlining, but I did do some outlining. And so I'm now, you know, hot and heavy on it with my notebooks and my scribbles. And I've probably written about 25,000 words so far. So, yeah. So that's what I'm at, up to now. So it's, com- it's a complete departure from fiction. And if anything, I would sort of put it in the, a sort of a self-help book, but not anything to do with mental health or physical health or anything like that. It's just kind of a how-to book, I guess.
0: Well, how was it transitioning, you know, back and forth from uh, fiction to nonfiction? Did you find that an easy transition, or how, how did that work for you?
1: So for the, this one is really using a different brain. But before I was a, a fiction author, I was for many years, from basically 2003 till 2018, I was a, um, a freelance journalist and, and I also did. Uh, was the editor of a couple of magazines. So, uh, one was uh, New England Antiques Journal and the other was Home Builder Canada. So very different kind of magazines, but, you know, and I, I don't, sh- not sure if everybody knows what an editor of a magazine does. But it's not just editing. It's like you assign the freelance content. You determine the overall, um, topic, theme, you know, what sort of articles are going to go in there. There's a lot involved, right? But then there's also writing some of the articles yourself. So for me, this is, takes me back to that time right so it's because it's a different brain because you're right now you're working with facts you're not working with just stuff you're making up right so um, in some ways i i find it a little bit easier because you know i'm basing everything on fact but in other ways it's more difficult because you know god forbid i get a fact wrong right and i'm writing a, yeah. book, a book of facts you know so i'm, I'm going to be super careful with this one i always hire an editor A professional editor and a professional proofreader. Um, This one, I'm actually um, working as I finish each section. There's going to be, I think, uh, seven sections to this. So as I finish a section, I'm sending it to an editor that I've met through some workshops that I had done, and and she um, she's sort of looking at the language of it, making sure that I'm, you know, the language makes sense and it's easy to understand and you know, because sometimes when when you know something really well and I know this topic really well, there's it's easy to make an assumption that everybody knows that. Right. right. And that's not right. necessarily the case. So this this editor is very clueless about the actual topic, but she's, uh, you know, really good at, you know, making sure the language is smooth and all of that. Once it's done, then I will send it to another editor who is really well versed in the topic and make sure that that there's nothing untoward, right? So it'll be a bit more expensive for me because I have to pay these people. They they don't really want to work for free. But I think it's really important. Um, and it's a crapshoot. Like, it may or may not even sell, you know, who knows. But it's something I really want to do, and I'm at the point in my life where, you know, I'm – I don't really take, take on any project that I don't want to do anymore. Right. I did that for years. like freelance right. journalism and writing for magazines. A lot of the stuff was great. I loved, you know, interviewing people and, and learning things. And I mean, I'm, I, if you ever need somebody for trivia, I'm your person. <laughs> <laughs> I know a little bit about everything, not a lot about a lot of things, but I know like that little silly thing. Um, so I think, um, you know, in that way, it's it's something. But there were, you know, articles I wrote. Like I remember the, one, the last one I wrote, and I said, this is it. I got hired to write about a guy that had a porta a potty company, and I had to write about port-a-potties and make them sound interesting. And I thought, you know, I'm better than this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether I am, but I, I just thought that's it. <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> So, so that went that flushed the career down the drain. Geez, you
0: you could have been something. <laughs>
1: I could have been something, yeah. Anyway, I mean, bless his heart, he's making a living at it, and that's great. But you know, it just wasn't. I don't know. It's hard to make it sound exciting. You know.
0: Well, okay, let's let's let people find where they can find you. Like do you have you have a website and everything? Don't you um, do you social media? Oh, you know? yes. quite the yeah. butterfly so, here.
1: So, it's judypennshellock.com, so myname.com, and it's a really good website actually. It's got uh, I've got some facts and fiction there, even a little blurb about the Regina man and the updated um, you know, link to the updated article on on finding him, uh, finding out who he was. And I've got some recipes on there and, you know, blog posts on writing and that kind of thing. So lots of stuff on there. And then I'm on uh, Facebook, Judy Panshalek, Twitter, Judy Panshalek, Instagram, Judy Panshalek. So nothing fancy. I don't try to go on uh, crazy names because then I figure it's uh, harder for people to find me and, you know, you want to be found. Have not yet done TikTok. I think when last I was with you, Alan, you were trying to talk me into TikTok, well, yeah. And I did make a modest effort and just decided it wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it's one of those things, you know. Uh, if you're not comfortable doing it, you can't do it.
1: Well, and also you have to understand, like, every minute you spend on social media is a minute taken away from, you know, your writing. Right? Yep. And that is really what I prefer to do. Like honestly, if I wasn't a, an author, I don't think I would have any social presence at all—zero. Well,
0: how are you gonna? How are you gonna um, find the people that you, uh, you know, capture and and kidnap <laughs> for your book? Yeah. I, mean, I you know. But
1: that's as I said, if I wasn't an author, like if I just—Well,
0: you're still gonna kidnap people. You're just not gonna write about. It.
1: <laughs> maybe that's it yeah that's it i'll be digging yeah. into you know really you have to be so careful what you google these days too because you know like with the uh, fool's journey uh, at one point uh, they they they, sus- they they suspect that he had um that the guy that went missing had a um, pornographic um addiction a porn addiction and so I, I googled that <laughs> you would not believe the amount of things <laughs> the amount of things that came as a result of that google. <laughs> you know how sometimes you 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 you'll be looking at a t-shirt and all of a sudden you get like 50 ads for t-shirts or you know you'll look yep. for <laughs> Well, the same thing with the porn thing, right? I was like oh. I was like seriously, <laughs> you have to be so careful what you google.
0: <laughs> now, we're talking about Before There Were Skeletons this is a Marketville mystery. It's book 4 of 4 and the Author is our guest, Judy Penns. Shall I Thank you for being
1: here. Thank you so much, Ellen. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Judy. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go
0: to www.houseofmystery.com.
1: show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me?
0: Yeah. Good night. This is being a production of Something
1: Weird Media. I'll be back.